Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful day as planned. That's what I've been working on all day is getting ready for these next couple of hours. I have the power panel assembling as we speak. I don't know who exactly is going to be at the finish line today, but I know we're going to start with Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and I don't know if uh, 007 shows up today or not. I have not heard from him. He does as he pleases. Um, and he answers to no one. He, he just is shows very, up when he needs to. very stealthy. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Thanks, Good to Bill. Be here. Thanks, Bill. And of course, the invitation is always to the listeners that says, "Let us know what questions you have for us. Ask the pastor anything you like." Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I've got First uh, Thessalonians five eighteen open uh, just to get things started, gentlemen. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. I have a feeling I want to apply this to the first question. And the first question is this. Um, how to maintain a healthy outlook when it seems like all you have looked forward to in life feels like it is ending? And in parentheses, I know that sounds kind of depressing. It does uh, in many ways, but it's not atypical of human nature. Because most of us, and I don't know about this lady or gentleman who wrote this in, but most of us have set priorities in our life that are going to end anyway, one way or the other, or not going to come about the way we like them. Paul in Thessalonians can talk the way he does because his whole life changed from being obedient to the law to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And because his focus was on Jesus, he had no illusions about human behavior. He had no illusions about being beaten and stoned for the gospel. He had no illusions about imprisonment, and he actually looked forward to the day he'd go home and be with Jesus. So it's a tough one to transition to for Christians because we live too much in this world without thinking really about ultimately what's eternity all about and who is this Jesus. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Who else? Hit it, Peter. Yeah, yeah you know, I don't... This It's hard, right? I mean, when you have when you have dreams unfulfilled... And and I, I would imagine there's not that many people that um, that would come to the end of their life and say, gosh, I, there's nothing left for me here. I, I just think that that's just part of the limitations of this world. And I, and I think that doesn't mean you can't have a life well-lived and a life fulfilled, but I, I think to to even begin to raise our children from, from moment one, but also think about it ourselves at the age of 40 or 60 or 80, that uh, that we're living in a time of the great absence, right? I mean, the, the world is not as it is meant to be. And so it, it's, it's hard to have expectations that everything is going to work out perfectly in the middle of a broken, broken situation. I mean, if, if I took a lawnmower in which, it, you know, the blade wasn't spinning, spinning correctly and I was maybe missing a blade on it and I went out to mow an acre yard or something like that, I, I wouldn't expect to have sort of this greenskeeper-like appearance at a Major League Baseball stadium based on the brokenness of the lawnmower. And so I think that's where 
and why that we talk about having a hope that is in the world and in the next life and the life to come while we do shine with that hope in the midst of this life so we can call other people home. But we talk about it a lot. And, and I think disappointment is so related to expectations, right? And, and I, I'm not talking about then living a life where you aren't filled with hopeful expectations and you just become sort of miserable and say nothing's going to work out. But at the same time, I think you have to, to, to temper that with the idea that, hey, look, there's certain things in life that in a broken world, in a broken lawnmower, you're just not going to see the results that you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Peter, let me ask you this, because um, you have five kids, and let's say you have you and your wife, Hallie, have put a lot of energy into raising your kids and bringing to the, them to the point of adulthood. They get there. They're off doing their life. And that was what you had looked forward to much in life, is yeah. the raising of your children and growing them up into adults. And now that has happened and they've left the home, and maybe that is a little bit what it would feel like to say everything I kind of look forward to in life feels like it's ending, even though it's not. But that's a real feeling. Fair? Good word. Bill, I think that's an outstanding example. It really is. And and I'm kind of feeling the front end of that right now because my 21-year-old is sort of pseudo-launched and and my 19-year-old is getting to that uh, degree and and there's times where I wake up in the middle of the night filled with regret for things that I just assumed would happen along the way as a parent um, that maybe didn't happen in their lives or things that I missed because I had a work schedule that didn't allow for it and and so um, yeah I, I'm living what you just described to a large degree on a week in week out basis and so the question has to become so God uh, what is next and I had some mentors that lived ahead of me in life by a generation and I know when they entered into their mid-60s and uh, and and the time of raising family or creating a career whatever that that was now in the past instead of retiring and just sort of drifting off into the distance they said so God I've got you know one quarter of life left here what would you have in front of me for this season and it's pretty amazing how God brings unforeseen circumstances together for people who ask that question. I mean, Moses was 80, right, when he was in the wilderness, and suddenly he's, he's setting the people free. So I, I think it's that idea of, of saying, hey, look, life isn't over just because something that I really loved has now come to an end. Um, the, the journey ahead, if we trust God for that part of the journey, then, then we can trust God for the journey ahead as well. But that's not easy. It's easy to say, right, but it's tough to live in. And I would like to add one more passage of Scripture to this conversation. And Tom Brock, if you would comment on this, this would be I'd appreciate it. First Peter chapter two verses twelve to fifteen say, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it's to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong." and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Mm-hmm. In other words, it seems like the will of God is to live an exemplary life in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. Tom? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we suffer, as Christians even, for doing bad. But that verse is telling us, if you suffer for doing good, you're going to be blessed. And, uh, you know, uh, the, what I thought for your uh, caller uh, regarding... Um, when your life's dreams kind of fall apart. 11 years ago, I went through the roughest time of my life, and I had an old pastor say to me, Tom, guard against self-pity 
it'll do you absolutely no good. Mm. And that really stuck in my head. Now, the problem was, I mean, I kind of like self-pity. It feels good and woe is me and I'm, I'm, I'm so beaten up. And, you know, it feels good on, in the flesh. But I got to catch myself when I start thinking like that because it really does absolutely no good to pity yourself. And so when your dreams fall apart... Well, <laughs> find something to do to enjoy life. I, I kind of like to have fun, yeah. even when I'm suffering. I'm not even suggesting yeah. dreams have fallen apart. Okay. I'm, I'm suggesting even in this conversation that things have gone well, and you have mm. you have worked hard, and things have come to uh, completion, and everything you've worked towards now is sort of ending. Oh, and you know, it might have been a, a successful mm-hmm. business or a ministry, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. certain sadness, I think, that can be attached to that experience. Because yeah. what do I do next? <laughs> but how many successful exactly. people in the media, Hollywood and elsewhere, have achieved the fame, all the money, everything they need? They're in their fifth or sixth marriage at this point, And they, they literally say, is this it? Is this all there is? Because achievement is one thing to get there. Is there satisfaction when you've achieved it? And I, I don't think a lot of people find that satisfaction because... Everything in this world is temporary. Yeah. Where my biggest challenge as a pastor was to get people to live in this world, to really engage in this world for the truth, but to keep the focus on eternity and on Jesus Christ, because if you don't, you will be let down. And I've heard that on deathbeds from a lot of people. You know, they just feel let down. Well, the focus was wrong. Well, Q Peggy Lee, do you know the song? Yeah. Is that all there is? What a great song, horribly depressing. Because, but it's 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 a great song in one sense that it's entertaining. But if you don't have eternity in Christ, well, is that all there is? I mean, there's nothing to look forward to. You don't know why you're here. You know, and so uh, I think we got to be very grateful that we have an eternal purpose in Christ because the world doesn't have that. Is that all there is? That's all they can sing. Well, think yeah, about you know. I'm sorry, go ahead, Just quickly, too, and and in answer to your question, too, I think, Bill, I I was just uh, taking a really dear friend of mine to the airport yesterday, and and he is in his, I would think, later 60s at this point, and he's just gone through an incredible maybe 15 to 20-year season where he left the institution where he was teaching, and he became an itinerant uh, Bible uh, scholar, and he's traveled the world as a result of it. Like, God has taken him into remarkable places, and and he tells some of the stories of, of where God has led him when he did this, and he took a sabbatical this last year, fully intending to go back then to the work that he had been doing. And in that time of the sabbatical, God made it very clear to him that that season of his life was now over. And and I think to your question and to your point, that was nothing but an incredibly sweet season for him. He would say, you know, I hope I can die in the saddle of what he was doing. He just loved every minute of it. And yet, as that season is now coming to an end, we, we talked about that together on the way to the airport, and he, and he said— this is a time of profound grief, but it's also a time of profound trust, because if I could rewind myself 15 or 20 years ago, when I trusted God to say no to what I was doing, to say yes to something new, I went on this incredible ride for the last 15 to 20 years. So why would I not now trust God again, that even in the true grief, and I am going to grieve that which I've lost uh, now, but I'm going to continue to trust that this God of inexhaustible riches, that he will continue to guide the, the steps along the way for the rest of this life and for the life to come. And, and that's a tricky spot because we so easily forget, right? I mean, 20 years ago, he would have never seen all of this. But if he could fast forward himself 20 years from now, who knows what God would have taken him. But, so I think to grieve well, those things that have gone well, but also to trust God on behalf of the future in the midst of the grief is maybe the trick to that whole thing. I think one of the good examples of people who got this right 
in the 18th century, when lay missionaries, before that you had the Jesuits and you had a lot of others that went and did mission work, when the lay missionaries started to go out from Europe and parts of America and elsewhere to foreign countries, um, they went with the expectation that they were not coming back, and many of them died of disease or of uh, hostility against them, whatever. What impresses me is not those people as much as the next generation who saw exactly what happened to those people and said, because we have an eternal perspective, whether we live or die in this world, whether we succeed or not in this world, we're called by Jesus and we're going to go anyway. And they went and they brought the gospel to all parts of the world. And it's still going on today. And it is when you have the eternal perspective that you can live not only for what's coming, but it gives you the freedom to live now because whether you live or die, you've got a whole new life to live. Because you have a purpose that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Nicely said, everybody. That's a really wonderful contributions to this uh, discussion. Thank you for that. I, you know, I, I do follow tennis, and I was thinking of Naomi Osaka, who was withdrawn from the French Open because of the pressure that she was feeling having to uh, talk to the press. And she has expressed her concerns over her depression the last three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's won major titles. And I think of... Uh, uh, Boris Becker, who won Wimbledon when he was 17 years old, one of the most amazing tennis players in history. And I think he won it again when he was 19. And so he's got two Wimbledon titles under his belt. And then the interviewer asked him, what do you consider to be your biggest challenge right now? And he said, not killing myself. Oh, my. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 He was yeah. horribly depressed. And it's like what we were just talking about. You just gain everything the world is offering. And yet still, it's not enough. Anyway. And it never has been, and it was never meant to be. And it never will be. Yeah, exactly. Let's take yeah. a little break. We'll be back with Guy Talk in just a few minutes. Let me know what your questions are. We've got some great ones coming in. 877-933-2484. Be right back. talk guys who talk that's kind of what we're doing this hour we need to know what your questions are 877-933-2484 this is the month we love honoring fathers and friends the godly men in your life that have helped you grow celebrate your wins and and help you kind of weather through life's difficult seasons Uh, maybe it's your dad or an uncle or a stepfather a coach or really a caring friend, someone that just showed up with their wisdom and gave you their time, and it meant a lot to you. So if you would like to nominate that person in your life, you can do that this month right here at Faith Radio. So we're honoring fathers and friends. It's a, it's a giveaway. We're giving away two gift sets each week this month. It has all kinds of fun stuff in it. So you just go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can nominate that man in your life. Speaking of that, coming up in the next hour, I have Michelle Watson Canfield on. She's written a book called Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. That's going to be a wonderful hour. If you've got a daughter or maybe just even a granddaughter, you're looking for ways to have real strong conversation starters, you're going to want to stay tuned after Guide Talk. All right. We've got the power panel today. Uh, everyone is in place, minus 007. He's probably on some mission. He doesn't report in. He does as he pleases. But Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner are my guests. Question has come in. Do you have any tips, tricks, or resources that help to study the Bible effectively? I have done 
reading the Bible in a year plans twice, and this year I wanted to dive deeper into various books, but I'm struggling to do more than just read the Word. I got an idea. Go ahead, Tom. Buy the ESV Study Bible, and when you read through the Bible, slow down. You don't have to get get through the entire Bible in one year, and read the footnotes. I mean, somebody just recently asked, had a question about Scripture, and I don't know, so I just opened up the ESV Study Bible, and I was able to answer the question at the bottom of that page. So, uh, Or get a good, big, thick, one-volume commentary on the Bible. But ESV Study Bible is really good. It okay. is well done. So I would, wait, let me just ask, Tom. Someone ahead. asked you a question about the Bible, and you didn't know what the no, answer no, was, and yet right. you're here on the show. I, I am here. Right, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very confused. All of <laughs> Remember, Bill, you don't pay me. Oh, well, that's a good no, point. Grace that's, that's does good exist. That's that's a good and you get you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> Ouch. You walked onto that road, Tom, and I go. just yanked it a little bit. There you go. Actually, I wish I would have learned this 55 years ago when I was uh, just waking up to the Lord and starting to walk with him. I've got the ESV study Bible. Boy, I believe in that, and I use that all the time. But there are three steps that I think any Christian can take when it comes to studying the Bible. I wish pastors would take these three steps in sermon preparation. First thing you do is you read the text and you ask what. What does the text actually say? Who Who's being talked to? What's being said? Who's the speaker? Define any words that you don't. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, that's where the ESV study Bible is good. You look into it. Second step you take then, take then is so what? So what does this mean? What is being said in this context that is speaking to me or would speak to other people that we should think about now? What is Jesus saying? How does it affect? We were studying last night uh, John chapter 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what? How does that affect you? How does that affect your understanding of Jesus? The third step is the one we rarely get to, and that's called what now? So you've got what? So what? what now? And that's where you come up with a plan, because the devil knows the scriptures. It it doesn't mean anything to go through the Bible in a year, as far as I'm concerned, and I love the people that can do it, but the bottom line is, the goal of the Bible is not for us to read it and have a good history lesson. It's to do it, to take what's being said, apply it to our lives, apply it to our relationships, give Jesus the power to work through us. And I find that most people come out of Bible study they take their notes, and they go home, and they hang them on the refrigerator, or they write them down in their Bible, and their Bible's all marked up, and they never look at them again. Mm. The question is, my goal is always, when people would leave a Bible study I would lead, my last question to them is, so what are you going to do with this now? What's your plan? And it was interesting, because I usually leave about 10, 15 minutes into the Bible study, and people would start to give me feedback. Well, I think Jesus is telling me I've got to go talk to my sister. I think I need to go back. I cheated somebody financially years ago. Maybe I need to go back and make that up. And I actually watch people do that. Think about that for a minute. If we did that with the Word of God, with every time we read it, and I find you do that with any verse in any part of the Bible, it is phenomenal how it changes your life. Nice. Nice. Peter? Yeah, I, I, what Tom Brock said too earlier, and agree with both these guys, is um, commentaries I think are a very helpful sort of next mm-hmm. step in the ESV study Bible is a great entry point. And, and what that has is as you're reading the text, then you can look down and, and many of the verses about what you're reading will have some in-depth comments or notes in them that just you know, give you a little color on those verses. And then you can take it a step further by using what are called commentaries, where somebody who is 
a scholar that probably has devoted their life to at least some part of their life to an entire book of the Bible, studying its history, studying its context, studying the words in their original languages, whether it be Greek in the Old Testament or, or Hebrew uh, or Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old. Uh, and one real practical series I think people could start with is the NIV application commentary mm-hmm. is um, that there, there's various levels in terms of how sort of dense or thick they are, how difficult they are to read. And the NIV application commentary series, which will have a, a commentary for every book in the Bible, is probably one that has enough depth to keep you interested, but also is accessible enough that you don't have to read one page and only understand 5% of it and read the next, you know, all of that, that kind of process. So I really recommend that. Uh, and, and it's, you know, once you dive in and, and the keys start sort of being handed to you to unlock the text, it's really exciting. I mean, I watch my students each semester, I assign them a couple of pretty large, what are called exegetical papers or, or trying to understand the text and really doing a lot of strong research they're biblical neophytes. They they really, probably a lot of them haven't even heard of King Solomon at this point. And yet, by the time they're given the tools like commentaries, or if you wanted to go to a lexicon is what it's called online, that you can plug in a word in the English, and then it'll give you the Greek translations of the word, where it's being used in the Bible, how to understand it, a lot of notes about it. So commentaries and lexicons, those tools are really helpful, and anybody can use them. You don't have to go get a degree. You don't have to have a bunch of fancy letters or anything like that. And and my students then, halfway through semesters, they're turning in 15, 20, 25-page papers that are really deep and rich and filled with sort of the wealth of Scripture. So I can't recommend it highly enough to learn how to wield commentaries and, and the lexicon just as a tool to get into it. One last piece of that is commentaries are being written usually by a certain kind of denominational tradition or bent. So it's really wise to get three or four commentaries from different publishing houses on the same book of the Bible. And sometimes they'll intersect and sometimes they'll disagree, but you get a little bit more full-blooded flavor if you have multiple commentaries and don't just read one that's coming from a certain tradition. Tom, are you going to well, say something? You know, I, uh, Peter, when you said, you know, you're teaching college uh, at a christian college and some of your students don't know who solomon is and i i remember oh, Tom, don't get me started oh yeah. <laughs> well i mean i remember when i was a young pastor taking some uh teenagers to bible camp and i i had my preparation of what i was going to preach to them and and i mentioned adam and eve to these two guys and they said who they had never yeah. heard of that made me way back up and remember don't assume people know these things. So exactly. what what I was going to say uh, for for your students, uh, again, Bible Dot is a free app you put on your iPhone. When I can't sleep at night, I push the button and it reads me Genesis or the Gospel of Luke or whatever. And I just want to encourage people, study the Bible in depth like Peter just said. Get the ESV Study Bible, get a commentary, get commentaries plural, but make sure you're reading the Bible also in a more surface way yes. so you know who Solomon is. Yeah. Love it. If you'd like a two-page summary on that, what, so what, now what, uh, I'd be glad to get it to you. I, I don't, you can contact Bill, and uh, if you give don't me your email. Me. Uh, well, they can email me directly, okay. too. All right. You know? Yeah, they can contact me. I can pass it on to you. Because I will get that to you. Give me your home phone number, Tom. <laughs> I think it's a great tool. <laughs> you know, Tom calls me in the middle of the night and says, read the Bible for me. That's what your Bible really <laughs> that, does. So it's, you? it's me. <laughs> All right. We we're coming up against a hard break, but we'll be right back and keep the questions coming. I got a whole bunch of great questions uh, coming up. So thank you for these questions. 877-93-FAITH. 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to Guy Talk. Guys who are talking, this is what we do this hour. We've got some great questions coming in. Some of the resources that have been offered are good. Another great resource is the uh, Blue Letter Bible. That's one I like using. Mm -hmm. Another listener chimed in with that. I agree. It's a great resource. It gives you uh, both Greek and Hebrew. Great commentary. It's uh, it's a great resource. All right. Here's a question. Um, When I was saved, I repented. Okay. Do I need to repent after I once repented? Yes, but it's not repentance unto salvation. That's the initial repentance. It's repentance in the relationship now with the Lord Jesus Christ, because we want to reflect him. We want him living through us. We want to hear his voice, and we can't allow sin to dominate us. And so we all still sin. Nobody's exempt from that. But the issue is how long does it take you to realize you've sinned and you come back to Jesus and you repent and say, I'm sorry, I want your mind. One of the concepts we miss on repentance, you know, people talk about it's like going one way and turning around and going another. Uh, I found a much better understanding of this. It's like somebody removes my brain from my head and gives me Jesus' brain. That's what real repentance is. I don't want to think the way I think anymore. I want to think the way he thinks about this particular issue or that particular sin. I think there is the repentance that happens at conversion uh, that is the big repentance, but every day I have to repent because I sin in thought, word, and deed daily. And when I sin, I don't wait till that evening to talk to the Lord about it. Let's get it off my back right now, and I confess it, I repent, and I move on. My name is Bond, James Bond. Guess who just joined us? I oh think. My. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, he just joined us. It's less talk time wow. for you, which I know you hate. Ouch. Wow. <laughs> 007 and three quarter. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. You know, I don't know what you were doing. You know, you do your own thing, Justin. So here you are. That's that's very true. I just thank you for letting me swoop in here. I'm surprised. You just you have that 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 you know theme song that's on a button that you can press. And oh that's yeah. Amazing how quickly you just you're ready to go. It's impressive. Oh, it's all, it's all we're all ready to go. Yeah. But. But yep. I want to talk more, so bye bye now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Go I back to Istanbul. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to be with you, brothers. Good yep. to be with you. Good to be with you too. Here. Always yeah. good to hear you. Um, <laughs> as the scriptures say, be doers of the word, not hearers only, James one twenty two. What are tips or ways to pray through applying the word of God and staying encouraged in the journey of it all? I think... We've covered some of that today, but I think that's a good reminder. Great question. Yeah, it goes back again, at least for me, to the the what, the so what, the now what. And I find if I don't come out of the Scriptures with some kind of a conviction or plan, Mm -hmm. it escapes my mind. Um, And I've memorized a lot of Scripture. But memorizing it is not enough unless it comes back and convicts me. And I want to be convicted to change my attitude toward you, toward others. And so I keep asking the Lord, let this word get into me, let it become me, let me think like you and behave like you. And we often on this show talk about the importance of accountability and trying not to do what the uh, um, caller says by ourself to get a Christian brother 
who mm-hmm. is uh, holding you accountable, praying with you, etc. Because I don't think we do much good all. all I mean, I, as I think of the early church, I think they were just in very close fellowship. Oh yeah. And I so I think that would be a huge part of the answer. Make sure you're in good fellowship and you have some accountability partner, prayer partner. Justin? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, two questions that I think that are maybe helpful applicational questions anytime we spend time in the Word is, you know, what what does what I'm reading, um, what is God calling me, either two things, calling me to believe mm-hmm. or calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think the, you know, the purpose, our, our Bible study is meant to lead us to Bible experience. Or in other words, like the time in the written Word should lead us into an encounter with the living Word with Jesus. And we know that when there is that encounter, we don't we don't leave unchanged. We don't we don't walk away from that time the same way that we entered into it. So it could be even very small, very small, you know, minute, maybe seemingly insignificant step. It might be something that I need to hold on to, something I need to remember, something I need to let go of, something I need to repent of. Um, and I think, yes, you know, the Tom's already talked about. I think that the best way, part of that application, is not just to consider it individualistically which I think is our tendency more often than not. Um, but it's who, who am I supposed to involve in this process? Who should I share this with? And I think for me, I, you know, the phrase that someone told me a long time ago is don't, don't just think it, ink it. So I, I like to have a pen and paper, whether it's a journal, notebook, and, and, and write down and document what those things are. And it's amazing to see um, as you kind of build a, a history of encounter with the Lord um, that, that really kind of documents the growth of intimacy and, and applying the Word of God towards continued growth in Christ-like character. Very good. Great answers, everyone. Here's a question about the Word hermeneutics. Maybe we can explain what that is, and if, if that's something that's meaningful, is there a good resource? Hermeneutics means yeah. how to yeah. study the Bible, basically, right. and we've talked right. about some of those already. Yes, yeah. we have. The ESV Study Bible, your, what's it called? The Blue what? Uh, the Blue the, Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible, yeah. and then on top of that, more in-depth commentaries, like uh, just one book on the whole Book of Romans, for instance, and I have them all, and I think people should. I, mean, I, don't, I think uh, we need to have good commentaries in our home. Agreed, and you need to look at a variety of sources, too. I always, when I uh, first went to the seminary, my wife got me an eight-translation New Testament. So you open up the two pages. I have one of those. Do you yeah, no, I think it's maybe six. Yeah. Mine, mine was eight, and, and I loved it because I would read all of those, and usually it helped me come to a pretty solid conclusion mm-hmm. of what was really being said. So I would recommend that as well. A lot of people say, I don't like commentaries. What I like to do is take Scripture and, and just measure it against other passages of Scripture, just cross-reference everything. Uh, and that's and that's important. Of course it is. Uh, but why not take advantage of two thousand years of Christian scholarship? <laughs> I'm with you, Tom. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of historical things that the Bible doesn't define. I mean, it doesn't go into depth on who the Pharisees were, who the Sadducees were, you know, that type of thing. And that's where the commentaries help. I had a professor, Dr. Robert Stein, at Bethel College, and I think he did this. One day he put the parable of the mustard seed in front of the whole class. Uh, now, the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. Smallest of all seeds, when it becomes big, it, it's a huge tree with uh, birds in its branches. And he said to the students, write down what that means. And then we did. And then he read everybody's interpretation. 
it was all over the board oh, yeah. because it's one of the few par- well, it's one of the parables Jesus never explained. And I think the and, and so I think the point is um read the parable of the mustard seed and you pray okay Lord how do I understand this? But why not look at how the church has understood that for 2000 years? And what what it is is that the mustard seed is Jesus is planting the church. It starts out real tiny, 12 men, turns into this huge thing. So, you know, take take advantage of Bible commentaries. Well, you know, when Jesus yeah. uh, died on the cross, it says that the veil of the temple was ripped in two. Now, unless you have a good historical understanding of what that means and somebody explaining you'll miss it. You'll miss the point. Yeah. And it's one of the huge points in the Bible mm-hmm. that suddenly the Holy of Holies mm-hmm. has now been opened because the real Holy of Holies is on the cross, Amen. no longer in the, the temple. temple itself. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I love everything that's, that's been shared so far. I think one of the things that's been was really impactful for me when I first started learning how to study the Bible um, and, a, and a, re- a resource that I'd strongly recommend. I mean, yeah, hermeneutics is simply the art of interpretation, and there, it is an art and, an, and a science. But I would say for listeners to learn the inductive Bible study method, um, and one of the best books that, I, that I've come across that helps you uh, do that is, to, uh, is written by Howard Hendricks called Living by the Book. And, um, and I remember taking a class, and that was the course text. And really the Bible study method is... is Inductive Bible study method is, is is interpretation, observation, interpretation, and application. And I think it's really important to build that that rhythm um, into your reading of Scripture, so that you don't become overly. Because I think commentaries are helpful, but I think it's so we got to remember that even commentaries there there's biases and there's influences there as well. And it's so easy to read something in a study Bible. And I actually had a professor tell me, you know, uh, and I I. I, I adhere to this, and it was really helpful for me. My main Bible that I read isn't a study Bible. It has no extra commentary text. Now, I have that close at hand, but it's so easy to read a, a puzzling passage and then say, what does that mean? Oh, what does the little footnote say? Oh, it means that, and then you move on. When really, I think the, the inductive Bible study method really helps equip you to stay engaged and, and to go deeper and, and to see how, Bill, you're talking about the analogy of Scripture, of Scripture interpreting Scripture, and, and taking, you know, going deeper, asking good questions, you know, leads us to a place. So there's actually clues in the text that can help us uncover what the actual author's intent was and who he was writing to. And it's so much more meaningful when you discover that yourself, and then you check that with commentaries, and you fill in what isn't stated there in terms of some of the, the cultural, historical context that's so helpful and crucial. So um, but I would recommend Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks would be. I can really remember valuable. when it was a big deal when Bibles had cross references. Now, many of them still do. But, folks, we live in America. We have computers and we have Bible on computer. And you can put in any topic, any name in the Bible, any idea, <clears throat> and it will do the research and pull it all together for you. And it literally, I was telling uh, my wife the other day, I can do in five minutes now with the Bible. It used to take me five days of doing research in the library because the, the computer will help pull it together. Now, that doesn't substitute reading the whole thing. It's just an added resource. And so there's not an excuse any longer. Well, I, I don't know what it really says in the Old Testament about this. You can find it very quickly now. Nicely done. All right. Let me ask you this. John fourteen twelve. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, 
will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. This listener said, I've gone to church my whole life. I've never, ever seen anyone do greater works than Jesus. Did Jesus really mean what he said? And if so, why do we see so little miracles and works in the church today? I think there's an answer to that. And when Jesus died, he had about 11 followers and more, but not much more. And then when he rose from the dead, he did appear to 500. Then the apostles went out on the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. And from there, it went all over the Roman Empire. So the apostles... The apostles, in that sense, did greater works than Jesus did in that they converted more than Jesus did when he was on earth. So, That's true, and there's, there's that as well. I think a lot of times when people ask this question, they're wondering why we're not raising the dead, why we're not healing the lepers, why we're not healing the sick. Sometimes that happens. I've seen people healed. I know it can happen. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't it happen on a regular basis where people struggle? And what I'm beginning to realize is that the New Testament was written for believers. Now, people that aren't believers come to read it and believe it, but the message is for believers, and we keep trying to apply uh, everything to the whole world when those one another passages are applying to one another. How do we really love one another as believers? How do we really take care of one another? You know, what do we do when people are hurting or financially can't make it in the church? How do we support them? The problem is most of us don't spend any more than three hours a week at church. So we really don't know the other church members. And whether isn't that, you know, linkage of believers together, I think it's hard for the Holy Spirit to work power through people to do anything miraculous. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a an aspect to this, too. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, you know, that whole teaching and the, the all of the discourse, John 14, 15, 16, you know, later on in John 16, Jesus says to his apostles, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go. Um, and because unless I go um, to the Father, I will not send, the Holy Spirit will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. And I think we, um, I think many of us believe that Jesus living physically beside us would still be better than the Holy Spirit living within us when Jesus says the opposite is true. And I think, you know, Tom was talking about all the resources. We are the most resourced church in the history of the church. And I mm-hmm. think there's a, there's a difference between utilizing resources and being dependent upon resources. And I think one of the reasons why we don't experience the truth of John 14, 12 is we actually have um, an anemic dependence on the Holy spirit. Um, and we're overly dependent on our own tactics, on our own devices, on our own strategies, on our own resources. Um, whereas I think the first century apostles, and you look at other countries around the world where it's, they, it's the Holy Spirit or bust. Um, if, if the Holy Spirit does not come through, they will look completely foolish. And we are in a culture that we don't want to look dumb. We don't want to look foolish. And so I think that causes us to, to not exercise great faith and be dependent on the Holy Spirit in the way that we, that we are able to, and to recognize the Holy Spirit as not an impersonal force that we beckon or that we call to come from the rafters of the churches and, you know, from our church buildings that, it's, it's the very spirit of Christ and dwelling in us. And that's why, you know, Christians literally means little Christ. So, and so, and yeah. Tom was alluding to earlier, like the, the expansiveness of Jesus's ministry um, was, was very actually small. I mean, he never, he hardly traveled, you know, like outside. I mean, he went to, you know, you look at the, the geographical area, 
I mean, it's dozens of miles, whereas Paul was about, you know, will travel to Rome and bringing the gospel to the nations. And so it's talking about, I think, both the work in us and the, through the Holy Spirit, but also the work through us as the global church. All right, we'll take a little break. I probably should have mentioned Peter Kapsner did have to uh, leave us at the break a little 15 minutes ago because he had to make dinner for the family and take one of his sons to Little League. I just didn't want you to think we weren't letting him talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a little break. We still have time for a few more questions. Let me know what they are, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Guy Talk, Guys Who Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. It's Guy Talk this hour. I'm looking forward to having Mich- Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield on next hour. We're going to discuss her book called Let's Talk Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. It's wonderful. Now, uh, we've had really a lovely hour talking about resources and encouraging people to study God's Word. And I, I love that people want to go deep, right? Mm-hmm. Another question came in about any commentaries. I know you love the study notes in the ESV Bible, Tom Brock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin, do you have a, a commentary that you gravitate towards? Um, gosh, I, I really think the, you know, for those that can, I know there's a free version of this too, but I, I really, over the last, you know, maybe three or four years have been utilizing Logos Bible software, um, yep. which is just amazing. Maybe that's already been about, but, you know, I think one of the resources too, you know, if I'm going into a library, I'm going to pull out, you know, actual physical copies. I mean, I think I really do like the NIV application. Mm-hmm. Um, commentary series. I think that's a really, it's really accessible and it does a really good job of going in depth to the historical cultural context, but also getting into the, um, you know, the grammatical meanings of the, the words and the various translations, but does a good job of what we're already talking about is the outcome of that Bible study is um, leading to obedience and towards, uh, t- towards transformation. So I think the NIV application um, I think it's called the NIV Applicational Bible, uh, Bible Commentary would be one I'd recommend. I like the IVP Bible Background Commentary. It's in the New, it's in New Testament. Um, that's and an excellent one as well. Yeah. Tyndale Commentaries are also good. Mm-hmm. Paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's by Dr. Craig Keener, who's been a regular on the show. But just think how blessed mm-hmm. we are. I mean, if we lived in the Middle Ages, first of all, you probably couldn't read. If you were a Middle Ages Christian, there'd probably be one book in town chained to the pulpit up in the cathedral <laughs> yep. uh, before Gutenberg. And so, but we got the Bible right in our hands. Right. So uh, don't not take advantage no, of that. We'd be the envy of first century Christians. Oh, absolutely. We have the entire revealed right. word of God mm-hmm. in our hands. Mm-hmm. And maybe five or six copies of it in our house, yeah, right? Right. I mean, you Should have at least that, don't you, Tom? Probably do. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Paris, how many copies of Scripture? About 35. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you're bragging. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. No, I know you are. I'm the sure. Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't falling apart. But a bump. That's right. That's great. Yep. That's great. I think it was even Abraham Lincoln said, 
it doesn't matter how many times you go through the Bible. What matters is how much of the Bible goes through you. Mm. Boy, that's wow. the truth. And what was said to his wife? Mary Lincoln? Mary Lincoln. Mary Other than that, Lincoln. Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play? Yeah. Hey, careful. She's one of my relatives. Oh, she is. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mary Lincoln. Mary Todd Lincoln. Oh, my. All right. Um, let's see here. Got some great questions coming in still. I just want to make sure uh, we covered that one. All right. Um, a lot of people want to do Jesus, the will that everyone, most Christians want to do Jesus's will. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sundays we get, we hear a lot about grace and faith, but little about doing the will of Jesus. This must be this person's experience at church. Mm-hmm. Most of us need specifics on doing his will. How do we do that without becoming legalistic? I think that's a phenomenal question. And as someone who's taught preaching and teaching uh, at seminary level and elsewhere, I become totally frustrated with a lot of students and pastors. They mean well, but they never really get to the application part of it. And what we mean by application and the way it was traditionally done is through storytelling. So Jesus would talk about, you know, uh, going and uh, being with the tax collectors and sinners. Is there a modern story that you can talk about some Christian or somebody, you know, waiting in and being with people that the other people rejected? And then what opportunities do you have? As I mentioned before, I have a friend, a uh, pastor friend, who did, was in northern Minnesota, and he had a small church. So he went to the local bar, bar restaurant, and he said, every Thursday, can I put up a sign that say, I'm here to pray with you if you need prayer? And he'd be there from like 1 until 4 in the afternoon. In the first three weeks, nobody would even look at him. The fourth week, he had a biker come in and sat with him. And they talked for an hour and prayed. From that point on, he had a line of people from then on. That's the application. That's how you move from talking about it to doing it. We need more of that. Well, and Tom, I think to that point, too, I think um, the greatest combative or uh, maybe... uh, uh, the way that we combat against legalism in terms of like our, our study and knowing the will of Jesus is, is really drilling down on what our, what our key motive is. And, uh, you know, Jesus yeah. said, if you love, if you love me, you, you will obey my commandments. I mean, yeah. if, if I, if someone told me that, okay, Jesus's will is you have to go sit in that, in that bar, you know, from one to four and be able <laughs> to pray, you know, you know what? I, I, yeah. After the yeah. first week, no one shut up. I thought, screw it. I'm out of here. But right. love is what kept him coming back. Right. And I think that love for the Lord, that love for the people, that wasn't done out of a heart of legalism of I have to, but the sense of Jesus is calling me to, I get to, the Holy Spirit is empowering me to, and then look at the faithfulness that brought forth the fruit of those conversations and those times of prayer. So I think really, you know, um, you know, again, it just goes back to the Bible study and, and knowing it's not just to know about Jesus. Um, it's truly to get to know him personally. And I, you know, he said to the Pharisees in John five thirty nine, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but what you fail to recognize that it's they that testify about me, and yet you failed to come to me. And so I think um, the scriptures are what's going to transform our mind into further into having the mind of Christ so that we more look, live, and act and more like him. Justin, let me add to that real quick. Legalism is what I have to do in order to get things right. In other words, I'm usually looking for ways to get out of it, <laughs> but I do it because I'm obligated to do it. Christianity is no longer legalism. It's thankfulness. 
Everything we do is built out of thankfulness. Our giving is out of thankfulness. Our serving is out of thankfulness. Our forgiving because of what Jesus has done for us. And the reason my friend could sit there for three hours with nobody coming forward for three weeks, he was so thankful for what Jesus had done for him, he was willing to give people time because it took him time to come to faith. That's the kind of stuff we need. We need to be thankful. You know, my thought too, let's say we're medieval Christians again. You go to church, the word of God you're going to get is that sermon. And I want to encourage everybody listening, before you go to church on Sunday, just stop and say a prayer. Lord, talk to me through the sermon today. And then when you're done hearing the sermon, as you go home, ask yourself, okay, what's one thing I'm going to do because of the sermon that I heard? You know, it's really nice when the preacher does that for you. And at the end of the sermon says, look, here's what we just learned. Do either A, B, or C this week. It's good. You, you, Tom, encouraged me to do that. I do that when I preach on TV often that, okay, here's what we learned. Would you either A, B, or C this week? But if your preacher doesn't do that, as you leave church, ask yourself, okay, Lord, What's one thing I'm going to do this week because of what I heard in the Word of God today? Good word. I appreciate it. That wraps up Guy Talk or Guys That Talk. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for being here and always being so faithful to this hour. Good. means a lot they to love me. love so much, Bill. means a lot to me, and I know the listeners love it. That uh, wraps up. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, there's lots more afternoons ahead. I've got Dr. Michelle Watson-Canfield. She's talking about her book, Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. You're going to have a ton of fun with Michelle, and you're going to also learn some great tips and ideas. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.